This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Back of the Nest. Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Wagwan, listeners! I was named Christopher Hamblin upon my birth in 1980, and I'm your host once again as we look back at Palace's 1-1 draw at Selhurst Park with plucky East London scamps West Ham United. After a fairly abject first half, the Eagles dialled up the pressure in the second 45 and could feel aggrieved to not take all three points. We'll do our best to cover the key talking points and answer as many questions as you have this week. And uh, the panel tonight is Mike Scott, Chris Clark. Patrick O'Connor will be back with you after this short break. Back of the Nest Match Preview Podcast. Hello, listeners. Terence here from the Preview Podcast, and I am with Sam Heskiff. Bonjour. And Albert Curley. Hello. And every week we are bringing you the Preview Podcast, sometimes on a Wednesday sometimes on a Thursday. Next week we'll be talking about Doncaster and the potential to reach an FA Cup quarter-final. Imagine that. In the meantime, leave a five-star review on iTunes. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Book Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, we're back. Let's get on with this. Uh, first of all, can I draw your attention to the Back of the Nest website? Uh, loads of articles have gone up there, much more to come in the near future. Uh, my article about Wilf's still up there, and it's still brilliant, so just definitely give it a read, backofthenest.com. And, of course, can you please, if you haven't done so already, rate us five stars on your chosen podcast app to help spread the word about this wonderful show. Uh, I'm going to introduce you to my panel right now. First up, we have Chris Clark. What well, outcome, Comrade? Right, I mean, I'm going to talk to you about this. Um, it's starting to become a little catchphrase heavy. Um, well you've, this week you've introduced, you've introduced what ho to the equation, and I'm not really sure about that. Well, I'm, I'm channeling Bertie Wooster, mate. Yeah, but he... Listeners, get in touch and just tell me what he's about. Who's Bertie Wooster? P.G. Woodhouse? No? Uh, I mean, I... I know, but mainly from when Steve Ryan Hugh Laurie did the TV stuff. Yes. Jeeves and Worcester, that's my... I've never read the books. Um, 
distressing. Uh, do let me know, listeners, about what you think, and we'll uh, we'll have a chat with Chris if you think what I think. That is a, that is mainly mainly a joke. But welcome, Chris. Good to good to have you on board. Yeah, thanks. Good to be here. No worries. We've also got Patrick O'Connor. Good afternoon from America. Wow, the America, the only one. Thank God. It's got. Uh, it's there's Americans are there, aren't they? I believe so. And all your all your pavements are are, are paved with pretzels. Uh, we um, call them sidewalks um, over here. Sorry. Oh, sorry, sidewalks. Are, uh, <laughs> are sidewalks paved though, or they sided. I can't exactly. Work that out. Stupid, oh, stupid yeah, language. Stupid country. Uh, everyone eats hot dogs and hamburgers for every meal. <laughs> Pretty right? much. Yeah, good, good. Glad sounds good. I like, I like that. That's um... anyway. So, welcome, Patrick. And finally, we have Mr. Mike Scott. How you doing? Amazing, absolutely amazing. You. I'm I'm not bad, you know. I'm I'm dealing with this back problem stuff. Um, I'm getting through the last bit of some Spanish liqueur that my lovely lady's got me for my birthday, um, which is oh, it's absolutely beautiful. I tell you, it's just apparently there's nothing in it but brandy and nuts, and it's oh, it's hitting the spot. Um, well, there you go. Yeah, not it's doing too bad. A good evening. Yeah, Bre- brandy and nuts. Yeah, yeah. A brandy. There's a lot nuts. you can do with that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm uh, I'm still on still on the bush mills. Um, still finishing that bottle off from the previous show. Uh, if people listened to that when I was on that, um, so that's that's taken me a while to get through. But that's because I don't really drink very heavily now. But okay, great. So everyone's warmed up nicely. Um, just but before we move on, I just want to take a bit more of a serious time for a moment. Um, I want to draw people's attention to um, to a guy called Leon McLeod. You you may or not know Leon. Uh, but Leon's a, a, a dedicated Palace fan, but he was also someone who was very much caught up in the uh, 2017 London Bridge terror attacks. Um, and Leon is uh, running the London Marathon in aid of, uh, of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder charities, um, because obviously that's something that that you know. Again, I, I'm not. I don't feel it's appropriate for me to tell Leon's story. It's out there if, if you want to hear it. Um, but he had obviously had a very traumatic experience and taken actions which make him a, a hero uh, to everybody in, in this country. I mean, it, he he did some amazing things that day, putting himself in danger and has been correctly honoured um, at the very highest level as a result of that. But, you know, Leon's giving something back now. And um, I'll be tweeting out the links from, from my account and the back of the Nest account as well for you to get involved in sponsoring Leon for the, the London Marathon. But we all... Oh, Leon and, and people like him a, a debt because uh, they put themselves on the line to protect all of us. So, um, and, he, and he's an absolutely top fellow as well. So, I'm very happy to um, to support him in this, and hope you'll all join me in donating to to this wonderful cause. Patrick, I know you you met Leon when you came over for the FA Cup. Yeah, it's a very quick story. Um, I'm walking down Wembley Way, and um, I don't even know how he even knew I was. <laughs> He just came over to you and said, and you, pa- oh, you know, I must have, I think he saw my, saw my picture on Twitter and he goes to me, uh, you Patrick from Twitter. I said, yeah, we had a great conversation. Such a very nice person. I had no idea of his background uh, as far as him being an officer until actually uh, I saw the him getting honoured. And I think he's a, he's a wonderful person, you know, kudos to him and uh, what he did that day. And, uh, you know, that's a great thing he's doing as far as running and good luck to him and everyone else involved in that charity. Definitely. I mean, it's, it's a, uh... It's a very tough subject to talk about. I just happened to be listening to a a podcast. It was about an hour long, um, 
description of what post-traumatic stress or disorder does to someone's brain and it's very interesting i won't bore you all with it now but i mean just as a summary you know it's it is a natural reaction to to a seriously traumatic event where your brain tries to protect you from the trauma and um unfortunately there's kind of a a sort of internal battle when that happens between you need sort of remembering things or remembering snippets of events and you know you can't control when they come back to you and all that kind of stuff and it's a very tough thing to live with and obviously it's also a very tough thing to talk about because you have to talk about it but your brain's still trying to suppress it and those are the kind of dichotomies that the people who suffer with it have to live with and it's it's a very tough thing and you know leon's been very open about sharing the issues that he's had um i was talking to him today and you know and he said that he's feeling better which is great to hear um and i think he's doing the absolute right thing by uh by investing his time and efforts in supporting those charities it's a very real problem for a lot of people in a lot of walks of life so again well done leon you're an absolute hero mate and, and again happy to support and hope everybody else does too it's time to get into um match chat but we'll start uh with a little bit of contact mike scott you've taken a bit of time to go through a, a huge amount of listener contact this week it's been unbelievable thank you to everyone who's done that uh the back of the nest chat group on facebook is growing all the time so many comments on that loads of stuff on twitter we'll do what we can to get through the sort of general topics you've raised raised and some some uh specifics but we won't get to everything but keep it coming it does help us decide how we're going to talk about things on the show yeah, absolutely. I've got to say, it's probably got a lot to do with the fact that everyone's leaving lovely five-star reviews on iTunes. Um, but the amount of contact we've got is uh, surreal this week. Uh, I know that's got a lot to do with how the game went and it was very up and down and people were very frustrated. Um, so if we don't get to you, um, we've read absolutely everything. So thank you very much for writing in. Um, and a, a few times people have, have raised the same points. Um, I think we can only start with one thing and that's the man the legend Craig Paulson so um, we can start it from any angle but if we start with um, a comment from Elaine Bunn um, and she's asked for us to discuss the ref's lack of bookings for West Ham and that really grated on me Um, you know we ended up with a booking for just about everyone in the side certainly all of our midfield by the half time um, and then as the game wore on, uh, we didn't see anyone from West Ham books. So um, let's let's start with Craig Paulson because the, the man was uh, a total waste of space, wasn't he? Well, I, I was really upset with his performance. I really was. Um, and I, I know we, we had a chat afterwards and I, I sort of draw attention to this now because uh, Mikey's producing today. And, you know, he was putting a different view across where he felt that, you know, the ref got most decisions right. And, and there is a degree of hysteria that comes with uh, with this sort of thing. But it was very interesting to see that Roy specifically mentioned that the, the lack of bookings for West Ham for similar challenges uh, in his post-match interviews, because that... If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. That level, that's that inconsistency which winds people up. And I think, you know, we could, we'll talk about Luca maybe being lucky not to get being sent off later on. But if you look at his first yellow card, it's so, so weak to, to give him a yellow in that position. You know, similarly, Wampasaka. It's very harshly done by because he wins the ball and it's only on the follow-through that he catches the player. And, you know, you're talking not more than maybe three, four seasons ago that that's actually applauded as a good tackle. And then you go back to, you know, the Andre Mariner performance the other week and you think Jack Stevens went straight through Andros Townsend, you know, at shin height and it wasn't even given a foul. And then, you know, then Wan-Pasaka's getting booked for winning the ball. And it's things like that that really wind people up. And unfortunately for Craig Pawson, he, he, he just, he comes across when he, and it's not the first time, you know, when he's refereed us that, that I felt this. It really does feel, and I, you know, accepting bias in this as well, that he has a, you know, a conscious, almost anti-Palace agenda. Now, I'm sure that's not true. Well, I'm not sure, but, you know, it'd be very weird if it was true. So, I totally understand why people are as angry as they are. And I think depending on how you're watching the game and you can have different opinions. But for me, it was a, it was a truly terrible performance. And I, I just have seen to have a problem with every single Premier League referee there is. Good example today, I'm watching Mike Dean referee the Man City game. And he makes it all about him. Remember that song you said about Clattenburg is all about you? It's amazing how these referees try to make their performances be why people come to watch the games. They don't come to watch referee. They come to watch the players play. And and I absolutely hate to make comments about referees because you know, it's an easy out, you know, to say, oh, the referee, poor Joe, oh, you lost or we didn't win. But Paulson was very, very poor yesterday. Again, the Luca um, second yellow card, possibly aside, he just made some very, very poor calls. And Campbell's right in saying, I think he does have a agenda against Palace. He's, a lot of, if you go back and look at our record, I don't know, I don't have a hand, I'm going to look it up real quickly, but our record with him as a referee is not very good. I just really, I just think he's a very, very poor referee. But again, I don't think there are many, if any, good Premier League referees. And it's a shame in the biggest league in the world, the referee standard is just so poor. I would say that we've got certain players um, that seem to attract attention from referees. Um, their body language. I'm not. I'm not necessarily talking post tackles. Um, you know, Zahar can roll over and then make a bit of a scene. I'm talking about the way they run and then the way they make challenges. Um, and we've got a comment here from Liam Talbot. I'd like you to guys guys to mull over the fact that most refs can't wait to book Wambasaka if he's even a fraction out of his challenges, just because he's leggy. And I think that word leggy is really important. We've got a couple of players that, that seem quite gangly and it's almost as if 
it's laziness on the part of the referees. Um, you know, they go near the they go near a man and that's it, they're down. Um they that's it, they their cards marked, they're gonna get a booking. Um and I feel like Wan Bissaka's got that problem, Zahar's got that problem. Um and it comes uh, five year plan discussed the whole racism in, in football last week and it was really interesting and they were discussing how Zahar got sent off um, when Ashley Barnes didn't get anything and that kind of stuff. But um, we, we we have these kind of very fast, very um, gangly players and they seem to be just absolute fodder for referees and it really frustrates me. That particular challenge, I was, you know, I was right in front of it in, in, uh, B block in the Homesdale yesterday, and he was nowhere near making a foul to get a booking. No wonder everyone booed him. No, no wonder everyone screamed shit referee for ages. It, it was so frustrating. But I feel like if he just if he had a kind of more classical movement, if he just played a ball, and then if he was going in for a challenge, if he just rather than making those huge lunging sliding tackles that he always manages to time perfectly, he probably wouldn't be pulled back on these. And it, it really annoys me because. Very rarely, they're actually fouls. I know it's inter- the point you're making is, is pretty interesting. I, I think one of the one of the aspects, and this has been talked about a lot, and we still don't seem to be anywhere near it. Where people have said, "Wouldn't it be better if if ex players took on the, the mantle of being referees because they've played the game and they understand it?" I think if you look at the directives that referees have got, and I suppose in a way, I'm, I'm kind of sympathising with them here in that they're told to watch out for challenges that are, could be considered to be out of control. And I think there's a there's a lot fewer players who actually will slide tackle these days. And I think that's why Wan-Bissaka has been so impressive. And so it's so noticeable that how many challenges he actually makes because he doesn't have that fear. And funnily enough, he was talking in that brilliant uh, Guardian article by Dom Fifield this week, where he said nobody really taught him to tackle. He just kind of logically decided how to do it. And it, it, you can see that he's got this very raw approach to uh, to defending and it works brilliantly because he's just thinking about what a winger's going to do and how he's going to stop it and he has the the attribute of having those long legs i think they call him spider if i'm if i'm right in terms of his his nickname and he's just you know it's a breath of fresh air for me and i think referees unfortunately are looking at it and thinking that he's always playing on the edge of of making a a, a challenge that's out of control you described it mike as a lunge and to to a degree it is that but I think he's very controlled in the challenges that he makes, and I agree he is unfairly penalised. And I think you could, you know, you could you could talk about the style across the board as as you did, and a number of our players whose style kind of counts against them. So I quickly looked up Craig Pawson's record roughing our matches uh, this year. We lost one 0 to Chelsea. Last year we drew one one with Swansea. Year before that we lost two one to Man United, but we did win the match. We won. We beat Chelsea two one. So our record is not great with Pawson as the referee. I think we can probably end it by saying, Stephen Sheffields, why didn't Craig Pawson just put a white shirt on from the start? And there was there was a there was a guy a couple of rows back from me. Um when we scored he just went, I bet I bet the ref's absolutely devastated that we've equalised. That pretty much summed up the day, didn't it? Just, just you've just reminded me something before we move on. Uh, Nick wanted me to say hi. Do you give a shout out to someone he doesn't know the name of? He said that bloke behind me. So is it behind or in front? I've even forgotten that. It was in front, I think. Okay. Well, hi, bloke, who Nick hasn't bothered to learn the name of. 
but thanks for listening. Um, <laughs> if, if it was me, I'd have I'd have learnt your name and said hi that way. But just don't don't judge Nick for that. I'm just saying. And one more thing I want to add. I I watched West Ham TV yesterday after the match, and they thought Porson did a tremendous job. So that pretty much sums it up. They really <laughs> did. They were lauding how great we did yesterday. West Ham TV that exists, does it? You didn't know that, seriously. There's AFTV. Everybody has one except pretty much for us. But you you have to watch certain people after they don't beat Palace because they act like Palace are the worst team ever. And how, to, how did Palace possibly get a point against them? So it's quite entertaining. Only when, you know, West End don't win do I watch it, by the way. Yep, yep. Okay, before we get on to the, um, the first 11, who was selected, that kind of stuff, because there was a lot of questions about that. Um, I think the only thing... Uh, I'd like to bring up that's come out of the questions um, is that uh, Darren, oh, sorry, Darren, if I can't pronounce your name right, Darren DePledge has, has asked, do the players need extra shooting practice? <laughs> Come on out, can it? Um, I mean, how do you, how do you excuse some of the misses? Um, look, we've talked over the last few weeks about whether the right players are getting in those positions. Um, but, you know, that is massively undermined when we miss the kind of chances that we missed against West Ham. And, you know, I wish it was the only time this season that, that we could talk about it. And unfortunately, it's every game. Um, I really, It's impossible to know whether... Because obviously the, the players will do finishing training and finishing drills, particularly the front players. But, you know, everybody gets involved in that kind of stuff. You see it often on the pitch before the game, that, you know, there's, there's lots of shooting drills going on. Um, I thought it was very interesting when uh, Zaha scored the other week that you saw in the training video him score in the exact same way uh, when the club did a video about Lucas Perry, which was like a, a drilled-in shot to the near post. You can well, you know, you can you can see that there's clearly some work going on, but I don't know. You, you don't. How do you replicate the the pressures around the match the match situation? You know, that, that's that's what you have to do there. You have to try and. You know, all those players out, you know, in training will put those those chances away, but put them put them in front of a crowd when it really matters, and that's when we seem to be failing. So I would say perhaps it's more a psychological issue, um, and, and you have to kind of deal with that. But it is it is mystifying. It really is. I I would say though, if you don't mind, um, I thought that Shwai miss and the Macamis aside, I thought the shot by Benteke in the first half. Maka's shot in the first half and even Zaha's shot. I thought they were pretty good saves by Fabianski. And I think he's very underrated. I think I've always thought he was one of the better keepers outside the top six. But I think that, you know, we put you know, yeah, we definitely should have scored more goals yesterday. But I think those particular chances that we had, I thought there really wasn't anywhere they could have put those balls where he wouldn't have saved them. I just thought they were decent shots and I thought the goalie made good saves. That's again the the misses aside, the Batshuay one and Mac one, you can't excuse those missing entire goal. But I thought the saves were decent yesterday from what from what I saw. I think the interesting thing is if you look back, there was a period, I think it was back when Pardew was manager actually, where he said that he was having to encourage a player, I think it, I think it, I don't think it was Yannick. I think it was Andros Townsend um, to shoot more, you know, so just to take a shot, and that that's been a problem historically for us, hasn't it? A reluctance to have a shot in the first place, and, that, and that's resulted in some of our fans panicking and shouting "shoot" whenever anyone gets within 
30, 40 yards of the goal, which is a bit farcical, really. The, the point being that I think we've now got past that and people are having shots, which is a start, but now they need to be hitting the target with them and some are and some aren't. And the ones that aren't, maybe they do need the extra target practice. I, I, I think, I mean, you're right that it's difficult to replicate that pressure situation, but I think it's worth a go. Well, all I would say, a couple more comments. Um, Mark G on Twitter has asked uh, whether coaching has led to poor finishing. Uh, and uh, Nick on Facebook uh, asked uh, whether we're shooting too early in moves. Um, and I can kind of see, you know, when you see goals like Townsend scored, um, you know, that's probably contagious through the team. Um, certainly, PVA had a crack yesterday from a good 25 yards and it just went over the bar. So it's not like we can't do it. Um, so there might be an element of them going, well, perspective shots aren't the worst thing in the world. Um, but it is an interesting conversation. Definitely. And I, yeah, I, I, I agree with the, um, with the, the observation that maybe we're shooting a little too, too early in some moves, but I think, you know, that goes down to what Chris was saying. It is right. We are, we have addressed the fact that we, um, we were resisting the urge to shoot more often than not. And you think you look at the, the statistics over probably the last, I don't know, last two, three months, maybe I think we're, we're racking up an incredible amount of shots and chances at the moment. Uh, 17 chances in the second half, I think 25 overall in this game. And that that's fantastic. That shows you that, that the team's doing an awful lot, right. Um, other than when we get those proper chances, actually converting them. And it's funny. Roy said after the game, um, that you know misses happen, of course they do. Otherwise, every game would would end ten eight. And I can remember myself saying that when uh, talking about people's reaction to to uh, the chances being missed and all that kind of stuff. But I think there's got to be a, a balance there, and it, it has cost us more often than not this season. Um, where you're talking about think that you know chances where we should have put the ball in the back of there, not chances where a keeper's made a great save or a defender's got a block back or we've just been very unlucky like Zaha's at the underside of the bar, that kind of stuff. I think we're talking about glaring errors and errors. MacArthur's done a couple of those in in recent succession. So that's, yeah, that's probably the concern. Just just one more thing before we get on to lineups and, and, and who he selected. Um, a few people have gone and referred to him as Woy. Um, yeah, I mean... I'm not sure you're endearing yourself to to us or to anyone else. Uh, he's done well. I mean, there's been discussions in the last few months about whether he should carry on, whether he's going to change things. But you know, he's he's doing well enough. And I I think if you're going to criticise him, it's got to be based on actual facts. So the kind of comments we're getting, um, some of them very intelligent, very insightful. But if you're just going to sort of have a go at his speech impediment. We're probably not going to bring his comments up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, it's like the whole Colin thing, isn't it? When Warnock was in charge, it's like, okay, yeah, you've you've made you've made your observation. Roy has a slight speech impediment. Yeah, uh, it's just it's just it's not funny, is it, to call him Roy? I don't really understand why that's why that's humorous, and I and I agree with you uh, on that. Just 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 cut it out. There's no need for it. Whether you rate him as a manager or not, it's it's a really lazy nickname. So yeah. I, I've got a bit of a speech impediment myself, so you know, please, especially when I've had a drink. <laughs> Sorry, I, I I I coughed there. I had to quickly go and mute. Apologies. Um, 
Right, so let's delve into the match review for the 1-1 draw. Just give you a quick overview of what I thought. Uh, I thought we weren't great in the first half. I think we really lost the midfield battle. Uh, and it was a lapse in defence that led to Guaita clattering into Antonio in the box uh, for Noble to tuck away that resulting penalty. So, disappointing first half. We sorted it out, the, the, sorted out that disconnect between the midfield and the attack after the break. Uh, West Ham didn't get a single chance in the second half um, of any note at all. Uh, and the introduction of Batshuayi and, and later on Mayer really did change the game and bring us up a level. Uh, we took more risks, built pressure. And that deflected effort from Zaha drew us level. Once again, it was missed chances that were a massive factor in us not getting the three points. And James MacArthur, guiltiest of all, which we'll analyse in just a moment. Yeah, let's let's start with uh, Mayer, though. Um, so there's been a ton of people that have mentioned about Max. Um, thank you for everyone that's, that's mentioned him. Uh, if we go for Mark Drew, Ian on Twitter, uh, Mark Smethurst... Um, they're all a bit lost as to why Mayer didn't start. So uh, if we maybe go into that a little bit. Um, personally, I I love him. Uh, as people that have listened to us before probably know. Um, and there was a couple of moments when he came on, particularly a little a little one-two with with Zahar that you know maybe a little bit maybe a little bit moist, um, like. You know, there's many reasons to love him, but are there any reasons uh, that he wasn't started? Um, if anyone's well, got any, I, yeah, I think we talked about it a little bit on Love Sport um, in the week. Got Sean Derry's views on it, and he was, you know, his view was quite interesting to me because I did kind of lead the question where I said, it, you know, is it the physical side of things? Because that's that's what I believe that it is is a concern over whether or not he's able to to take the physical demands of the Premier League. And it's not just necessarily about in one game, it's playing multiple games and how that affects him. Personally, I, I just, I, you know, Sean Derry, his view was that you have to kind of play a system that accommodates him and that we don't. And I can see that to a degree. But I can also see the argument that a lot of people are making and it, it, where they're saying, well, wouldn't you just take James McArthur out, put Mayer in? Um, particularly if Kuyate's back where you could just leave Kuyate and Lucas sitting and have Maya play just ahead of them. And that kind of feels like the dream in the 4-3-3, doesn't it? Where you could have Maya at the kind of point of the, of a midfield triangle. Um, and, and that just feels like a, a naturally the best way of getting our, our best players in the side. Um, and, you, and you see his links with Zaha and how they're, they're just on the same wavelength. They have that same class. And for me, when I see Max Maya play, it's the technique, it's the close control, it's He's, he, you know, he won a really good free kick that Luca didn't score, um, just by having quick feet and just being streets ahead of the defender trying to make a challenge. You know, he'd made the challenge about two, three seconds after May had already nicked the ball away. It's that, that's technique. You, you know, it's and it's natural to a degree, and you, you can't really get the other players in a team. So when you talk about Jeff Schlapp, who had a good game, when you talk about James MacArthur, who regularly puts in an incredible shift for the team. They just don't have that level of ability, and that's what we as fans see. The converse to that is that the manager has requirements for people who play the positions in his system, and I think he probably, well, demonstrably, he feels that both Jeffrey Schlepp and James MacArthur have the kind of attributes that fit the position better than Max Mayer. And you know, unless he changes that system, it's it's going to be difficult for Max to start every week. 
Well, yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure it's about starting. I mean, if he'd have been in, in the first half, I think he would have been totally anonymous. Um, it's the fact that he came on at 78 minutes. I, I'm, I'm not against him being a sub, um, but, you know, he made he made the substitution for Benteke ben for Batshuayi on the hour. Um, you know, Mayer was given 12 minutes plus, plus injury time. Um, so, you know, he, he probably will, you know, when you've already got knackered leg defenders, that's that's when he's going to show his show his stuff. And maybe the first half, he wouldn't have been that great. But tw- 12 minutes, he, he's not going to show anything. That's what's really frustrating. I'm, I, I don't know what, what Roy doesn't see in Max Mayer. I've watched him start. I've watched him come off the come off the bench and he's got so many qualities as far as link up play you guys mentioned the quick feet he's a, his vision is very good he 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 helps out Wolf on that on that great chance I mentioned earlier when when they gave a little quick one to in the box Wolf got that shot could have been a winning goal I just don't understand like Mike I, I, I don't the lateness of the substitutes Bobby but he to me he should, he should be starting at this point I don't understand we are now more than half through the season I think he started maybe four matches the entire season in in the league He's played in you know, the cup matches. I don't understand. He always seems to come on and, and impact the matches. It's very rare he hasn't come on and impacted the game. The last first time match came on, he, he had the assist for Schlupp's goal. You know, he scored against Liverpool. I mean, he seems to impact matches. I don't understand why he doesn't play more. And I know it's a bit of a joke with me when I, before the match, I always treat out the old hashtag free Max Mayer, but he needs to start. I don't know. I don't care what he does figure-wise with the other players. He wants to start Kiate. I thought Schlott played really well, so if he's going to stay in lineup, that's fine. But you've got to accommodate Max Meyer. He's that good of a player. He links up so well. And he, we just look so different and so much better with him on the side. Don't know why he doesn't play more. I think I'm going to um, just agree with everyone on that. But there's more to say, um, which is th- this is about the system. that That's fundamental. Um, but it's also about looking at different types of player. So... Kuyate, Luca, and Schlupp fulfil that defensive role. And you've got to look at how many of those kind of bitey midfielders you're going to play and if you're going to play a creative midfielder. The the thing that I think is interesting is, as as has been highlighted, you look at the, the way that we had West Ham on their heels in the second half. That was a complete change. And... That, a large part of that was confidence. It was about ha- players having options. You know, they they were running forward. There was a belief. That's a, it. Felt to me like you know that that goal when it came was coming. And I think if, if games were a hundred minutes, we'd have won that yesterday as well. So I do think we need to look at whether there's a way of starting Max. And I think the answer is there is. But we've been saying it for weeks that Macarthur looks tired. Um, this is the moment for me that you that you you start Max. Um, that said, when he started against Grimsby, he didn't have the best of games. So you know the, these are calculations that need to be made. But for me, you know it's a straight swap of um, Max for Macarthur, and then if you give him the chance to play for a full game, then we'll actually know, won't we, whether he can do it at this level and for that length of time. If you don't try it, you won't know. It, it just for me is is about playing him in consecutive games. It's not. I mean, you look at what happened. Not that nobody had a particularly good game against Grimsby because they had a player sent off really early on and just pack, packed the box, and we had no space to break them down. But you know, Max is the kind of player that you look on to do that. But I think if you look at the first half against West Ham, what was missing, and, and it wasn't consistently missing because 
you know, MacArthur did get forward, but predominantly his focus is, is on defence. And you mentioned Jeffrey Slut being a defensive type of midfielder. And but re- but realistically, Roy's been getting him to get forward, and he's yeah. popping up in the box and making chances and all that kind of stuff. So there's a definite push for those midfielders to do to do the kind of box to box job. But for me, that's kind of forcing again. You're forcing people like Jeffrey Slut and and. James MacArthur to be on the end of chances. And I, I don't know how you, the rest of you feel about this, but I feel if Max Mayer was the one with the, the chances that MacArthur had, I feel he'd put them away. Similarly, I feel Wilf will benefit massively from having Max Mayer in the team for 90 minutes or even you know for the first 70 or whatever. There's a trade-off with, with what you get from MacArthur and what you get from Jeffrey Schlupp and players like that. Definitely, they bring things to the to the table that that Max that aren't Max Meyer's strengths. But you know, you look at what our problems are this season. It's scoring goals, and and who's going to unlock that? Look, let's let's not forget the point. It, Roy picked Max Meyer. Mount Roy wanted him. No, there's no doubt about that. He wasn't a player who was forced onto Roy Hodgson. And Roy was like, oh, you know, who's this guy? If you got, you know, he he was consulted and given the option to sign him, and he wanted. Max Mayer to, to come into the side uh, with a significant wage outlay that we could have spent on two other players. So clearly he wanted him at the club, um, but I just don't think he's found a way. You know, he he's, he trusts more in the system than he does in the player at the moment. I think that's where, where we're struggling to see him. Well, what backs up your point even more? I mean, MacArthur, particularly last season when he had, he had his real purple patch, you know, he was running into the box late, um, and he was on the end of crosses that were sort of coming backwards a bit. He played some really forward roles yesterday. I mean, there was there was points where I was fairly sure that he was he was the striker. You know, he, at least he was he was up there with with Batshuayi. Um He missed a golden opportunity in the first half, let alone the Ronnie Rosenthal-esque one in the second half. Um, he 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 played a really forward role yesterday. So if Hodgson's going down that route, then it's got to be Mayer, surely. And to add to what Chris said earlier, Chris said, well, Mayer would have scored those chances. He would have to. If you look at, go back and watch those two chances again. Maka could have scored both those balls for tapping for Benteke. Both of them. The first one, Benteke is wide open. He doesn't never picks his head up, shoots it, and then Fabian makes a save. On the second one, he gets by the keeper. He sits the keeper down. If he looks up, he's got PVA and Benteke for both for tapping. Then he tries to shoot. So the thing I like about Mayer is he doesn't always look to shoot. He looks to pass the ball. And even in those two cases, there would have been easy tap-ins that even one of those call couldn't have missed. Well, I think that leads us nicely on to Benteke, actually. Um, he very much uh, dissected fans yesterday. Uh, I heard people calling him a donkey in the stands. Um, someone just asked the question um, on... Sorry, Kevin Hales asked the question, the point of Benteke... Um, and yesterday he was he was a, it was a strange one. He was over over on the wings a lot. Um, you know he was getting headers. I think the main issue I found was that there was no one in the middle. You know he was getting the ball. He was a decent target man, but there was no way that he was going to affect the game in the way that you'd expect Benteke to yesterday because it, it just did not play to his strengths. No, there's there's definitely a bit of that. But this, you know, I was, I was talking to my brother-in-law about this earlier on today. Um, and he was saying, you know, the last, if you look at um, the Spurs Cup game where Wickham was playing as the kind of sort of physical presence up top and 
and the way the handball was forced. If you look at a similar situation against Fulham when Benteke is challenging and the, and the player handballs, and he was pointing to that as examples of what happens when you play with that type of striker. And I think you know the first half, the, the midfield failings didn't really do Benteke any favours at all. Um, I agree with what Patrick was saying earlier that he hasn't really done too much wrong with his chance. I think when he gets his chance and he turns, the only thing he could have done was was turn a little bit more 180 rather than pushing the ball to one side and then cutting it back across the keeper. However, they do say shoot across the goalkeeper and the goalkeeper's made a good save. But, you know, he's coming back from a long time out. Long time out. He's, you know, I think he put on Twitter that he's um, that after the after the West Ham game that he was feeling fitter all the time and, We've got, to, we've got to allow a bit of that. I like the fact that he had a decent chance and he, and he went for it. Um, and I, I just think, again, if you if you look at our crossing, our crossing was, again, not really fit for Benteke. We we put more crosses into the box when he went off the pitch and we've got a horrible habit of doing that and it really winds me up. Uh, so we're going to give him goal chances. Look again what Patrick's saying about the opportunities. He's in the right place in the six-yard box for tap-ins twice, and we don't find him. Um, that's not Benteke's fault. Benteke could be walking away with, with two goals there, and people won't be questioning what the point of him is at all. But clearly, when you look at Batshuayi coming off the bench for him, he's a much busier, a much more mobile, much more involved um, striker who's who's got much quicker feet and offers a very different proposition. And I think the way we play lends itself better to that type of striker at the moment. Yeah, I think Missy Batswai has, has shown um, that you can give something different, but he also missed the sitter. Um, so, you know, it, it's not like everyone's just going to instantly score goals if they happen to be someone that plays differently to Benteke. Um, Andy Churchill has said, get Benteke off the wage bill and we'll never recoup what we've paid for him. And then Ashby Reynolds has said, um, we only need to look across the river for the ideal centre forward once Fulham go down. Um, you know, it really depends how you play as, as to whether they're an ideal centre forward for you or not. Um, you, you know, I'm sure Benteke would be the ideal centre forward for, for, for a lot of teams. Um, but right now, you know, it's almost like he's on a, a thankless task because when he's when he's getting headers over on the left and right flanks, I don't really see what else he can do. Um, he's He's in a totally thankless job. I think, yeah, I think give it time um, and you'll see a, a better contribution from him. I, I, I like the signs that I've seen since he's come back from injury. I think he's moving a lot better. He's a little bit leaner. I think there's good competition up top there now. Um, and I think, you know, he'll make a, a, a good contribution for the rest of the season. Um, whether or not we see the Benteke that scores 17 in a, in a season for us, I'm not so sure. Certainly don't think so under under Roy, but... Um, I do. I do want to talk. Sorry, Mike. You want to jump back in there? I was just going to change the subject to the other um, player that really divides opinion. Um, was that was Jeffrey Schlupp? But if you wanted to say anything else on Benteke, by all means. Well, no. I was just going to point out the um, that there were a couple of other changes um, in, in the game, just to talk about those. But you know, Schlupp is a, a valid um, uh, selection discussion. So let's do that. Well, let's let's start with the fact that. See, I put up the uh, the man of the match suggestions yesterday um, on Twitter, and uh, Zahar won it. Uh, but he left as the fourth option, uh, other player. He hadn't put Schlupp in, and literally every reply was Schlupp. And I'm possibly of the the same opinion. Yesterday, I, f- I thought he I thought he did great, but it's hard to pinpoint why. 
Um, you know, I thought he was great, but I, I, if I was to have to say why I thought he was great, it wasn't that easy. The thing is, Mike, and I also reply to DR Schlupp, is that he drives forward with the ball more than any other player on our team, which is interesting because he's not a great passer, but he will drive forward and he will create opportunities. Um, a good example would have been the uh, the goal that he created for Tottenham against Tottenham in the FA Cup. But yesterday, just again, I just thought that he just he just seems to create little opportunities by driving forward when he's playing more central. And it's an interesting thing to see because, again, I was not a big fan of his. I've uh, come to respect him a lot. His contributions have been have been fantastic this year. And I can see why uh, Roy picks him. But, again, um, yesterday I just thought he played really well overall. And our midfield, as uh, Hamburg mentioned earlier, didn't play well in the first half. But I thought he, even he had a decent first half uh, yesterday. And, again, it just grew into the game as it went on in the second half. I think Patrick's covered almost everything I was going to say, really, which is I've been a fan of Schlupp you know, for a while and we've had these conversations where, you know, sometimes he really does not contribute what he's capable of. But I thought yesterday it's it's interesting because I watched the highlights back. Um and they don't really show the contribution that he makes. You need to watch the full game in order to see what it is he does. And as you said, Patrick, he drives the ball forward in a way that no no one else in our team currently does. I think Coyote does that when he plays. Um, but you know, I, I thought he had an absolutely superb game yesterday. There's not much that would make a highlights reel, but he just really contributed to the overall moves that we were making. And yeah, no, I'm. I thought he did really well. It was interesting because um, another podcast also put up their man of the match poll, and they didn't include any kind of um, any other player option, and they didn't include Jeff. And every reply on that was Schlupp as well. So um, that I think one of one of my uh, one of my mates Granville on Twitter um, called it Schluppgate, which I quite enjoyed. So yeah, I, I thought he had a really good game yesterday. In the absence of DR's stat of the week, um, how tall do you think Jeffrey Schlupp is? Because I thought he was about five foot two. Have five a, eleven. Yeah, he's he's five foot eleven. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't believe that. Um, I, I found that out yesterday. I, I literally thought he was like, you know, was about as tall as my daughter. But um, yeah, that, obviously that didn't shock per- anyone else quite as much as me. It's all perspective, mate. When you're 6'5", like you, everyone's short. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, look, I, I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate to a degree, but also I do kind of think some of the things I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it and we're going to move on and we'll... we'll any fallback, fallout from it, we'll talk about another week because I want to get into some of the more detailed match uh, analysis kind of information that, uh, that I spent all this time getting together. And we've, you know, we're nearly 50 minutes into the podcast. So, um, look, I, I think to a degree, I think people, people love an underdog at Palace. And to a degree, Jeffrey Schlupp has had an, an unfair amount of grief and has had a couple of good games in a row. And I do think that that has influenced decisions to a degree. And I don't criticise people for that. I like the fact that we like an underdog and I like the fact that we can recognise when a player has improved and has has contributed more than they were. I think there's a very interesting point about Patrick talking about Jeffrey Schluck driving forward with a ball. That was my biggest criticism of him in the past, particularly last season, where he always refused to do that. He always looked for a sideways pass or to give the responsibility to someone else. And he's got pace, he's got power, he's got a drive. And the more he does that, the better he is. And I actually, I really like him as a as a player who, when he when he plays like that. 
So I'd like to see more of it. I, I don't personally feel he was man of the match. Uh, I think he did some important work. Um, but I think he, you know, again, he didn't necessarily affect the game strongly enough to, to be man of the match, in my view. And I think there were some other excellent performances, but he was certainly up there in terms of his performances. Um, but you know, would he be in my strongest first eleven? Absolutely not um, at this stage. But hey, I, I could change my mind if he carries on playing well. So, oh look, the other decisions would be that were made. Obviously, you got to play Wilfred Zaha, and it was it was Jordan Ayew that that dropped out. Quite surprised, you know, Jordan Ayew has his best game for it, you know, in a Palace shirt uh, last time out and then gets dropped. I'm not sure how he, feel, he feels about that, but uh, it felt a little bit harsh in a way. But, you know, he's contributed well, but, you know, there's, there's competition up there now. And he's, um, I suppose he's just got to accept that. So it felt a little sorry for him, but you've got to have Zaha back on the side. Um, nothing really to, to chat about there, just an observation. But, of course, Tompkins was out injured and, and Martin Kelly came in. Lot of love for Martin Kelly. Um, lots of people saying, sort of pound for pound, in terms of expenditure, one of our best signings ever. Never lets us down. Another player who got a bit of grief way back, but for for some time now he's been content with with putting in decent performances when he comes into the side when he's needed. And uh, I thought early on there was perhaps a little bit of a, a struggle because Wan Bissaka and Kelly on the same side. There was there were gaps between them. Obviously, Tompkins and Wambasaka played together an awful lot, and I think that there was a, there's definitely a point to be made there um, that that Anderson got a bit too much space in the first half. Other than that, though, those those were the the two sort of changes: one enforced, and Zaha for IU was almost enforced by just how good Wilf is. But <coughs> excuse me, but there's some wonderful stuff in the in the match summary that I took off whoscored.com because uh, I wanted to talk about some of the. Um, the key observations of Palace. So, uh, but the funniest thing was what it says under the West Ham section. So, in the Crystal Palace section, you've got strengths, weaknesses, and uh, and styles. So, um, under strengths for Crystal Palace, created a high number of chances relative to their possession. Yep, stole the ball often from the opposition. Yep, were effective at creating goal-scoring opportunities from through balls and were effective at creating goal-scoring opportunities from set pieces, which might be a surprise to some. So you've got one, two, three, four strengths observed by the statisticians at whoscored.com. Flip over to West Ham under strengths. Team has no significant strengths. Enjoyed that. Enjoyed that massively. Um, under weaknesses, Palace were poor at finishing, were aggressive, gave away a lot of free kicks around the box, were caught offside often. West Ham team has no significant weaknesses, so West Ham are just beige um, by the looks of things. Um, but again, the, the statistics here: we again we dominated our attack down the left hand side because that's where Wilf is. So that's something we've seen an awful lot. I think Wilf being back saw Townsend get got let get less of the ball. Perhaps there's something to worry about a little bit there. Uh, we had a high shot frequency in possession, which backs up the points being made, particularly by Chris earlier on. That we're now over that issue of not taking shots and we're taking a lot more. And we also favoured crossing the ball, which is a very surprising statistic. So some interesting stuff there. Patrick? Interesting, the variety of set pieces, because I don't know how you uh, feel about that, everybody else, but I'm very frustrated at the number of corners we get uh, in comparison to the number of goals that we score. I think it's it's an issue that needs to be addressed. I thought one of our best set, set corner routines was last year, the one against Brighton. I've not seen it again since then. We always do the same thing in our corner kicks. I haven't seen a, 
and I people have a pet peeve against short corners and I don't see us doing uh, as, as many or any of those this year. I just have a little pet peeve about corner kicks and funny about that stat, Chris, about um, no significant well, uh, strengths as far as set plays. The goal that uh, West Ham scored came from a set play. It was that dive by Chicharico, Chicharicho, sorry, and then it recycles the ball into the box and Aguayta comes out and fouls Antonio. So it's funny that they actually got their goals technically on a set piece, whereas um, ours obviously came from open play. A few people did mention uh, Lucas set pieces. And I've got to say they were they were mediocre at best again. And it, it does frustrate me that at the very least, Andros doesn't take them from his side. Um, you talked about the, the stats with the corners, uh, with the um, crosses, and they were probably bolstered towards the end of the game where him and Wambasaka really did cross a, a lot in from the from the right hand side um, and it was definitely our best chance of scoring um, and you know if he can play those kind of balls in from a live perspective he's going to play them just as well from a dead ball so it does frustrate me that um, they don't at least split the corners down the middle uh, now and again because all you're going to get from, from Luca is a sort of drifting ball in and by now we've worked out we, we must have one of the worst corners to goals ratios in the league. I, I I don't know what it is. I haven't looked it up, but they're always too slow. You know, they're just, they're, you don't have that sort of feeling in your stomach as though, yes, there's going to be a goal. You just think, oh, it's another fucking corner. Uh, Mike, good point. Just want to add real quick about uh, set pieces and uh, free kicks. The goal we scored against Grimsby was a schlup uh, free kick. Wasn't Luca was on the field, obviously, and I think PVA will be taking them that side. So it is interesting. You're right. I think we need to mix up a little bit with who takes them. I think having Luca take them and increasingly doing the same thing over and over again is getting a little bit tedious. You also look at the chances we created. More often than not, it was PVA putting the ball yep. in uh, as well. So you know, there's, there's an argument to say he should be taking some from that side as well. It's an. I thought it was interesting that 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 came up in the statistical analysis. How they actually work out what a goal-scoring opportunity is, whether it's direct, uh, as a direct result of the ball going, the next opportunity for Palace to touch the ball is is a, arguably an opportunity to score. Not so sure. The only one that really springs to mind, I'm sure there were more, but was the free header for Martin Kelly from a free kick in from Patrick Van Arnholt, who did take it that time. Um, I'm pretty sure it was a free kick. Either that or he was standing still. My memory's not quite brilliant, but I'm pretty sure it was a free kick. Um so you know, clearly we had we created at least one golden opportunity, but presumably I think it might have been it might also count when the ball comes back into the box as after after the free kick might be initially cleared or something like that. But obviously we must be we must be dangerous to some degree. But um, you know, I can, I could never remember a time where I was completely satisfied with our free kicks and corners. You know, I go back to the grief Ben Watson used to get for hitting the first man every time. And I don't really recall us ever getting over that. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. Oh, good old Ben Watson. Um, it was really telling in the second half. Um, Luca was desperate to pay a short corner to Wilf. Um, and you could see Wilf just go, no, it's not going to happen. Like there's someone too close to me. And that just shows to me, if you remember, I say England back in the, in the, um, in the World Cup like it last last summer, um, you know, they really had them worked out. There's no way that you'd be pulling out a quick short corner without some planning um, if you really were properly on it week in, week out. Um, 
it seems like Luca doesn't really know what he wants to do. He just wants to drift the ball in. And when he's looking to play something to Zahar, just because he happens to be standing there, and Zahar's like, no, you know, that, that's really worrying. Um, and the look on Zahar's face, he was like, what are you doing? You know, th- this is not the plan. And it, 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 that's really worrying because, you know, Hodgson, you'd expect to be the first man to have a plan A, plan B and plan C for corners. There's, there's no way that that's happening right now. And it's very frustrating. I hate to bring this up, but I'm just, like you mentioned corners routines, Mike, I'm thinking back to England and who took most of the corners under Hodgson? It was Harry Kane. And that was like the biggest thing. So <laughs> yeah. think about it. maybe we just don't work on corner kicks. Because when you think about it, if that's your, num- your number one choice on the international level, Harry Kane, and you've got, you know, international fullbacks and, you know, maybe they can take corner kicks. You've got to figure, maybe he just doesn't rate corner kicks. I'm, I'm, I know I'm being a little bit silly, but that is a bit strange that, our corners are really, they're just so poor. Yeah, is it, is it only a matter of time before Benteke's on corners? Obviously. Um, yeah. Look, you know, set pieces are very, very important in, in the game. We know that. And there's some clubs, you know, we have in our past been been reliant on getting results from taking opportunities at set pieces. And, and there's a lot of clubs whose success is built on it. Um, I, I agree in general with the observation that our set pieces aren't quite up to the standard. I mean, I think the, the best in recent times was, everyone points back to when, uh, I think it was under Holloway when Millen came in um, and we just seemed so so well drilled for set pieces at that point in time. But even then, delivery is inconsistent. And I think it's worth pointing out there's lots of corners in all the games up and down the country and most, more often than not, you know, a huge percentage of the time, those corners and free kicks don't result in goals. I mean, inconsistency would be great. It's the it's the consistency of just that kind of leaping ball in that bothers me. Yeah, no, we we. I mean, you know it, don't you? Like, if Tompkins is playing, we will look for a long looping ball up to James Tompkins ninety percent of the time, um, and he he wins a lot of them as well. I suppose that's that's one thing to consider, but uh, not necessarily to score or to head back or anything. But he usually gets his head on them. And there you go. Um, I think that's a subject that will crop up quite a lot. I'm not going to go into the detail. We've, we've covered a lot of the key moments and, uh, and chances as, as we've talked, but I want to go back to the the goals again. Um, so the, the, for the for the goal we conceded, you know, I'll get, get you in on this, Patrick, because you you mentioned the uh, Chicharito, the little P um, sort of dive. I, I don't know. Roy wasn't happy with it either. I kind of feel that PVA does go through the back of him a little bit. There is a bit of contact on his back leg. I mean, don't get me wrong. He clutches the wrong part of his leg for the contact contact and, ro- and rolls around like someone had cut his leg off. But, you know, I did I did see contact there. So that, that free kick happens, I think. Um, but but you don't agree, no? No, it's not I don't agree. I just thought he, he like you just said, he, what's the word? he embellishes a lot of his. He's always been that way. I watched him play against USA, Mexico, tons of times and, and he, obviously when he plays for United etc but he just seems to go down and like you say he clutches the wrong part of his body so he, he's he's he, he was a foul I don't know if he had to go down as bad but just going further in that goal though as we recycle when the ball goes in the box you know Guaita has an interesting opportunity you know does he come does he not go I like the fact that he came for it but did anybody else notice how PVA kind of let Antonio bullied him out of the way and he kind of moved out of the way. I thought that was not great defending by him. I really, that irked me. I, I get, I wasn't happy with Guay to bring him down, but I don't know what his choice he had. But I didn't like the fact that he was able to get a free run on our keeper at that ball, which he got to first. So fair, fair play to him. But I thought if PVA could have either gone with him or blocked him off, he wouldn't have gotten that far and maybe could have gotten to either punch it, which he'd like to do better than catch. I just didn't like the way PVA played that 
at all. I thought that was I thought that was poor from him, honestly. Yeah, he was on goals on Sunday this week, um, and PVA, and they they you mentioned showed that, him, they, didn't. They, showed, they showed him that, and he just he just went, yeah, yeah, he's 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 strong. I should have I should have stopped wow. off the yard. He, he felt he was yeah. too close to him, which um, I think again I don't necessarily think he was too close to him. He just needed to react, but he wasn't the only one. The only person who did react was Guaita, and he. Yeah perhaps needed well you know it's split seconds in it and I'm not going to certainly not going to make excuses for him because ultimately it has to go down as an aberration by the goalkeeper as well as the defense but he is a split second from getting his hand to to the ball it's just Antonio knocks it away and then the contact's going to happen you know it's it's quite a soft penalty but it is still it is still a penalty unfortunately um but there were there was a line of palace defenders who were very very slow to react to what I feel was a, a relatively aimless ball it was just a you know, Rice has just sort of lifted it over. And Antonio is even quite slow to react, but he just turns around and PVA sort of left a bit of space for him to run into. Um, you know, so he's talking about being a yard off, but probably if he was if he was closer and actually getting into the physical battle with him, I don't think that happens either. So very, uh, very disappointing, really, to, to concede that penalty in that way. Uh, but obviously we, we do go one nil down. Mike, did I did I say what you were gonna say? I noticed your your hand was up and then it disappeared. Well I was just gonna say I watched um I watched it a few times back and clearly Geiter's eyes were totally on the ball. Um and it was literally he was just half a second too late. You know, he, he pushed his hands out ready to grab the ball, didn't notice there was a player there, and that sort of typical goalkeepers don't really play football kind of a way. Um We'd have the same criticism from listeners saying, you know, if it was Hennessy, you'd be slating him. Maybe, but, you know, the the rest of the game, you know, he pulled off a great save from Fredericks, um, which I think, you know, at a time when we were really suffering, uh, when it looked like Anderson was going to put in a ball every time he got the ball uh, and we were going to be 2 3 4 nil down. Um, you know, he kept us in it then, so... It was it was frustrating, but you know on the on the on the player ratings, I think I still gave him a six or a seven because he had a decent enough game. Um, what frustrated me more was whereas his short balls out were just as spot on as ever, um, as it was mentioned last pod. Um, there's still times where he knocks the ball up where it just wasn't it wasn't going to the player that he wanted. Um, you know, Fabianski's clearances were dire. You know, he kicked into touch about four times, but. Yeah. Um, you, you, I, I, I was a bit frustrated. I, I found myself groaning when, under uh, under real pressure, he was knocking the ball up and just giving it straight back to him. Um, and that was something that I, I really felt that he would knock out of Palace's game. Um, and it's frustrating to see that he's, he's still there. Um, and I'm sure he's well aware of it, but that bothered me more than the penalty, to be honest. Sure. And look, it's, you're right to mention the fact that he made several decent saves as well. You know, we've we've talked about our chances, you know, MacArthur had a good early chance. Um, but, you know, quite a save from, from Fredericks, from Snodgrass, from Chicharito. No, that was a, a defence closed down Chicharito in the box. So, you know, we've, we've, we've defended pretty well to keep the, to keep us in it at half time, but it, it was, a, it was an abject display. You know, again, Betzak had a chance late, later on in the half where he shoots across Fabianski and it's, and it's saved. But, you know, it, it, we're winding down at half time and we can't have too many complaints, but the second half was a lot better, but it started with that MacArthur miss. We've talked about the miss. We've talked about the fact he had options. He could have played it square. He sat Fabianski down, but still managed to hit it wide. What I want to talk about was uh, 
was Wilf's reaction that was captured beautifully on a on, on Twitter, where you know every, the entire body just sort of sort of recoils in disgust as soon as he sees him miss it. Um, you know, Wilf Wilf is a a proper Palace boy because he reacts exactly like we do on the pitch to uh, to things that he sees. I've never seen so many people sink to their knees from a standing position in the homesdale. You know, there three or four of us, you know, we, we, we're not mates, occasional word to each other, all of us simultaneously just sank to our knees. And then there's one guy just smacking the seat in front of him. I, I'm failing to think of a miss that I've seen that close up that's ever been as bad. I mean, it was, it was really, and Aguero's today at Man City was bad, but that was, I, 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 words still escape me for it because it, it was ridiculous. I I sort of trying to think. The last time I, I remember thinking about someone missing badly, it was also James McArthur at a, a far post chance not that long ago when the ball was drilled across. I can't remember the game now. I'm getting. Oh, it was worse. It was worse than that. It was. It was worse. But it than was. That. Yeah. But it was so so much worse than that. And I think you know PVA again was asked for asked about it on, on goals on Sunday, and his comment was sort of was a wry smile, but he sort of goes, "Well, look." You know, he'll put the next one away. You can't dwell on it, that kind of thing, which was which is very nice of him. But, you know, for me, I go back to the issue, you know, is do you want James McArthur in that position? You know, because at the moment he seems to be getting a lot of chances and he's not putting them away. But is he the player that you want in that position to get in those chances? And I would say no, not in our team. He's the player I want, you know, using his incredible engine to do box-to-box stuff you know, to, to get challenges in, to, you know, to link play, to, you know, just, just really contribute in the ways that he contributes. I don't want him on the end of too many chances. And yes, he has scored a few goals for us. And yes, he deserves respect for that. But my word, what a miss. Last season, he was the player you wanted to be running into those positions because he reliably tucked him away. And for whatever reason, that's not happening at the moment. I think it's worth just um, looking at some of the stats from the game. Um, we had 25 shots yesterday total, and of those, only five were on target. By contrast, West Ham had six, but four of theirs were on target. If you did that as percentages, it's just crackers as an analysis. Um, the other thing just about, you know, generally the point about having shots, I mean, that that's where that, that point about practice comes in. I thought, they really need to do something about it. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's get Meyer in. I don't know. Yeah, they they need to do something about the inefficiency in front of Carl. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, we go. You know, we I mentioned some of the stats earlier on, and those those kind of you know, I think the five on targets, the the interesting thing there, and shows you just how wasteful we were. Um, but it also goes back to the point we were making about you know when we were shooting, was it the right time, and all that kind of stuff. So there's clearly a, a lot going on there. Look, we talked about Kelly's miss. Uh, we've talked about Luca avoiding the sending off and the, and the referee. Um, Bachelor wise miss again. My my question is: Is it contagious? Because um, I think he had a very 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 good opportunity there. The only thing I might excuse him a little bit is that the ball is just a little bit behind him and just a little bit slower than he would have liked ideally. So he seems to kind of complete the shot just fractionally too early, which is why it goes wide. Um, but I really hope he hasn't caught the non-scoring striker disease straight away. If you, if you watch it again. Um, the defender just puts him off and I couldn't even see whether the defender just got a touch on it um, but he clearly was in the right position to slide it home 
Um, and the, the player just next to him just puts him off. So give him the benefit of the doubt on that, I think. Yeah, for sure. Look, the one for one one, the goal was uh it was some, some very much welcome luck. Um, you know, Wilf's trying to sort of thread the ball across, it deflects and ends up going to MacArthur. MacArthur's sort of control puts it back into Wilf's possession and he just takes a swing of it, a deflected shot, ends up in the net. Absolutely deserved, delighted for Wilf, and he certainly enjoyed celebrating it as well. So very much deserved. And then it was uh, Max Mayer who came off the bench, uh, had an absolutely stunning 11, 12 minutes plus injury time. The links with Wilf are brilliant. And that one move, guys, where obviously he's he's played in um, in the box. Well, they sort of exchange passes, then Wilf runs into the box. And it's a lovely one too. He uses a back heel to do it. Uh, Wilf shot. Great save by Fabianski. But that... That was the moment. That would have been a beautiful winner. And I would have very much loved to have uh, seen the West Ham fans' reaction with that. But it wasn't to be. So we've talked, uh, those were all the key chances, really, all the key moments that we've gone through. We've talked about um, about Kelly, about Jeff Schlupp, about Max Mayer. Um, Patrick Van Arnholt's been a, a topic of discussion of late as well. But just a quick moment on Wan-Bissaka getting a lot of attention, uh, a lot of national press coverage. We talked about Don Fifield's article. Uh, it seems after every game, Squawker uh, tweeting out the statistics of Wambasaka about how he's the best tackler in, in all the five top leagues in Europe. A lot of talk about him getting international recognition. What do we think about that, gents? Patrick, what do you, what, what you think? Is it time for him to play for England? Yeah, I think it's definitely time for him to get a chance at the full international team. Um, uh, he's been incredible this year. Just to take his stats are ridiculous. But what I will say is that what bothers me is the attention. Because it only ends in one way. We all know how this ends. I remember when Wilf got similar attention, had to get your Man United match, uh, got called up for England, <laughs> same as Wamba Saka's going to be. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get around those international players, they start talking to you. The Man City players talk to you, the Spurs players talk to you. The next minute you know, you know, he's got a pre-contract, you know, go to Man City. That's my biggest fear. Now, he's a very, he's reminded a lot of Wolf. He's a very quiet young man. I love the article by Fyfield. I read it in depth. Uh, I love the thing that the, the website did. And when he back to, went back to his old primary school, which is brilliant. He's been such a, a shy, quiet player. The only thing I think can keep it from going is similar to Wolf. He may not want to leave his friends and family because he's got the, you know, he's got the uh, palace ties. But again, I just, I just hate the attention from the standpoint. Yeah, he's a Palace fan. I love that. But he's getting so much attention outside of Palace. I just have a funny feeling that there'll be an offer for him this summer. And if it's ludicrous, can we really, you know, lucrative, sorry, or ludicrous, either one, uh, can we really turn it down? I actually thought that out of any game this season, Felipe Anderson had his number. I mean, for, especially for the first half hour. Um, he, re- he really did cause him some stress. Um, and I know he got booked unnecessarily, but, you know, relatively surprised he didn't get booked for an actual booking. Um, Anderson was, was absolutely excellent. He It, it wasn't easy because wan wasn't getting the cover that he usually gets. And, and that's a little bit why Zaha and Townsend got swapped round um, for a while, I think, because he found himself totally isolated. But he, he did really meet his match. Um, and I think it's... Uh, I would say it's probably his toughest game of the season. I think that's probably more a reflection on exactly how good Felipe is. Um, but it sort of showed to me that he still has more development to come. You know, if, if he was in Champions League level sort of stuff, you know, he'd be facing someone like Felipe Anderson every week. Um, I still think he's got a little way to go. So 
they'll have looked at that and they'll have gone, you know, he is fallible. Um, there, there are ways to, to sort him out. Um, and, you know, as the referee showed, um, we've, we talked about his lunges already. If you happen to uh, persuade the referee that things aren't going that great and he's making these sliding tackles that everyone else doesn't seem to be able to be making, um, you know, you probably can get him booked as well. So, I would say that he probably has a little bit to think about after that game, personally. Um, I understand what you're saying, Mike, definitely. Um, in the, but, but I go back to what I was saying earlier. I felt that there was a little bit of un- uncertainty for wan because Tompkins wasn't there. It's pretty clear that Tompkins has been a big help guiding him through games as, as much as Townsend has when they're getting forward. I think Tompkins is a great organiser and has really been a, a massive factor in how well when Pesaka has settled into to first team football in the Premier League, I think there was just that little extra gap, that little bit of space that isn't usually there. And also, a couple of times he was a bit—he's been very adventurous, getting himself forward. And um, Townsend has sort of tucked in behind him to cover. But you know, you don't really want Andros Townsend as right back against Felipe Anderson. So there was a, there were a lot of factors there. But I think it's a it's a fair observation, Mike, that um, that it was a tough game for him and Anderson. Did a did a little bit of a job on him in the, the you know the uh, reverse fixture at uh, the, the taxpayer stadium. That that's a great point. There was a couple of times he was he was caught really for we were caught out of possession, not necessarily his fault. He was trotting back. He wasn't sprinting back. He was trotting back, and that left an even larger gap. Um, you know, it, it was worrying times that that first half an hour, um, and there was no cover from whatsoever. Uh, you know, if if it takes Tompkins to keep him to keep him playing at his best, great. But um, it's not always he's not always going to be there. So I reckon he's you know he's 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 still young. He's only twenty one. He's got he's got plenty of time ahead of him. But um, I think that you know the, the the real quality scouts will be looking at that and thinking, you know, he's still got some work to do. Oh, but he must have. You know, he's only been in the. He's only. It's only a year. I think year yesterday or a year today, maybe that he made his debut. Um, you know, but I think there's. You know, we we all see it. We all see just how good a player he is. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, there we go. I think. Yeah, he's still a little bit raw, but you'd expect that uh, at times. He, he's certainly, in terms of the achievement of coming into top level football and playing to that standard, it you know, it's still absolutely bewildering how he's managed to do it. It's. Um, it's incredible, really. So I'm not I'm not trying to do down his, his achievement or anything like that by saying that Tompkins has helped him. You know, you expect the senior players to help the young players when they when they come in and play. Um, so there you go. That's, that's that's one of the general points I wanted to make. Um, so everyone said Jeffrey Slut was their man of the match. Um, I felt Wilf probably shaded it. I just thought he was excellent. Um, again, occupying so many players. I think people judge Wilf. An incredibly high standard, so he has to do do amazing things for a lot of people to say he was man of the match. But I thought he was very good. Um, Roy was uh, was a little frustrated after the game. Uh, said that uh, he called the first half even, which I can't really uh, agree with. But I do agree with the fact that he said the second half was pretty much one way traffic. Uh, very complimentary of the players, and he says he's not concerned what's going on below us. If we keep doing our bit with performances like today, we will get points off our own backs. We know we are good enough to stay out of it. So Roy talking confidently about the fact that we uh, we should be involved in the relegation battle come the end of the season. And I think maybe you know talking to people, a lot of people don't feel that that we are uh, as as in danger as we were. 
Yeah, Chris, um, I'm, I've tried to look up the table for the last few weeks, actually. I know uh, ideally last three matches, I, I wanted, my aim was seven points. We got five. But my frustration is this. We just seem to be just not picking up points against, you know, when we should. An example is look at Leicester. Leicester's a, a, a place above if they're in 12th. They've, they've uh, scored four more goals. And they have five more points than us. We have the same exact. Uh, we've given up the same amount of goals as far as you know, conceded. So it's not. We are so close to just being totally out of this ridiculous relegation battle, which we are obviously us and by our way our friends down south also in it now, which is ridiculous to be in it considering the fact that we've got so much talent and we've played so well, especially in some of the matches of late. And my concern going forward is is Doncaster and and that will he play his strongest side or is he still think that. Rightly so, we're probably still in a relegation battle. Does he rest players? Because I really, obviously, like everybody else, want a cup run. And a week from today, are we going to see our top players out there? Or are we going to see them, which I believe we'll probably see a little mix mismatch, and we just shouldn't be in position? It's a real shame we're where we are because we should be doing much better. No, I understand that. And I, I, yeah, I've been saying it all season. I think the squad is, is well, this, the team, the squad is better than it's showing. But to be fair, Roy says that too. Um, I just think that maybe. He feels it's for different reasons than I do, but there we go. Um, no, we won't go on too much. If we do uh, do get to another semi-final, sorry, semi-final, Patrick, or a final, you going to pop over? No, because now <laughs> I'm a jinx. And I, which I personally take uh, offence at, and I'll tell you right very quickly, I've, I've flown over about three or four times in the last, let's say, 10 years for Palace specifically, and I saw a speak. Uh, Watford in the playoff final and then Watford in the semi-final at Wembley. It just so happens that, you know, the final, because of our idiot manager not picking punch from the beginning, we lost. I want to blame Podju more for the jinx, as Nav calls it. But because, honestly, we didn't win in that final, I couldn't I couldn't go through that again. So as much as I really enjoy meeting you guys and hanging out and all that kind of stuff, I can't do it just again because I am technically a jinx. But, but what if we win and you're not, not there? You know what? <laughs> I thought about that, but I'd, ra- I'd rather... We win and I not be there, then we lose and I be there. <laughs> I was devastated after FA Cup for such a long time. I mean, I have, you know, I honestly do have some some issues personally anyway, but because uh, so Palace losses really get to me. And honestly, I was devastated um, after that Cup final. It really, really affected me in a negative way. So being across the pond and watching us lose is not the same as being in the building watching us lose. So good luck to us. Fair enough. I'll FaceTime you in, mate, when, we, when we're just about. That would be brilliant. Week. Please do. Yeah, no worries. All right, um, let's leave it there. We've gone on long enough. Thank you very much to Mikey for producing, uh, to uh, Chris, to Mike, and to Patrick for being on the panel today, uh, and obviously to you for listening. You can subscribe to our show via your chosen podcast app so you don't miss a thing. Uh, given we do three shows a week, subscribing is the best way to ensure that. Uh, thanks to everybody who's contacted the show. Um, even more so this week, there was so much more comment. Uh, than we have uh, ever had time to actually deal with. But keep it coming. We read it all. It does help change how we do the show every week, um, and, and it is appreciated. Um, so check out Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and engage on all of those. Remind A little reminder to visit backofthenest.com. More content there, more features as we progress throughout the season. So it's Tuesday night, Love Sport. Uh, I'm on with DR this week, 7 to 9 p.m. Uh, with Jake. Uh, The preview show will be either Wednesday or Thursday this week to look ahead to Doncaster, which we'll be reviewing. Mike will be reviewing uh, probably Monday night, Mike. So there we go. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Bye.
It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.